This year, we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best, from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on the Goop list, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. Don't hold anything too tightly. Just wish for it, want it, let it come from the intention of real truth for you, and then let it go. For me, our soul is like, it's unbound, it's limitless, but we will use words to limit ourselves. When people stop believing that somebody's got your back or Superman's coming, we turn to ourselves and that's where you become empowered. Courageous participation attracts positive things. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow and this is the Goop Podcast where we bring together visionaries, scientists, healers, artists, and seekers. I'm so grateful that I get to interview these extraordinary thought leaders and share their wisdom with you. And I love listening to the conversations that are led by my co-host and dear friend, Cleo Wade. Cleo is a beautiful poet and author. I deeply admire her and the way she keeps her heart open to the world. Together, we believe that engaging in open-minded, honest, and sometimes difficult conversations has the power to change our lives. All right, over to Cleo. Nedra Glover-Tawab is a licensed therapist, a relationship and boundaries expert, and the author of New York Times bestselling book, Set Boundaries, Find Peace. Her latest book is called Drama Free, A Guide to Managing Unhealthy Family Relationships. Today, we are, of course, talking about boundaries, the ones we have with ourselves, with others, and with the world. We talk about navigating families, friendship, work, therapy, and Nedra shares her practical wisdom around what a dysfunctional family really means, what is at the root of jealousy, how to normalize anger, particularly when it comes to children, and some of her strategies for creating healthy boundaries of teenagers. Okay, let's get right to my chat with Nedra Glover-Tawab. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here. Here. Thank you for requesting my presence. How are you doing? I mean, I feel like you're so busy and you provide such an incredible service for people by putting so much information out there in this really beautiful and selfless way. And I'm so happy that you are not only online the way that you are, but you're also writing these incredible books because it gives people so many different ways and spaces and to kind of fit your wisdom into their current capacity. Because mm. some people only have mental space for a, you know, a five minute kind of micro moment to readjust or reset. And some people need to take the book to the bathtub for an hour and a half and <laughs> try to get their life together. And so I want to thank you and just see, you know, how are you? How has it 
been, especially growing this, you, you, I wouldn't say you have followers so much as this movement around personal healing and health. How, how has this journey been the past few years for you? Well, I am doing what was done for me. I am a lover of self-help myself. I feel like it, you know, the Ayanla books, the Oprah Mm -hmm. Winfrey, the Wayne Dyers is how I learned so much about myself. And, you know, many of these terms that we now have come to know, it's really exciting to be in the place of you know, the people that helped you to be able to help people in that way, to take up a career that's really about being of service to others in a way. And it seems like a lot of work, but I rarely feel like it's a lot of work. I let it flow naturally sometimes in the shower. You know, Mm. I'll be in the shower and I'm like, hey, Siri, create a note. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. So, yeah, it's like, you know, it just comes to me. I I can't, you know, except for when I'm writing a book, I don't really sit down and, and just be like, let me create some content. It's like yeah, in yeah. the living, in yeah. the, you know, working with my clients, that's where the content sort of comes up. And even with books, like I have thousands of notes on my phone and eventually I'll combine a lot of them. And it's like, this is a book. (laughs) Like I have, if I type boundaries into my notes section and 500 notes come up, I think I have a pretty good basis Mm. for a book there. (laughs) Do you feel that you kind of just live with your information and, and allow for it to kind of process and surround you? Do you think that's helpful to somebody else who might want to write a book? Yes. And I also think that it's helpful. We move towards the things in life that feel I don't want to say easy, but feel easeful. Like it's easeful. Yeah. Like I think sometimes we try to do really, really hard things. Yes. Like it's almost like me going to college. I am terrible at science and saying, you know, I want to be a nurse. Right. <laughs> like, right. You're not nurse material. Yeah. And yeah, well, I- I'm not, I'm not nurse material. What I really excelled in was like social studies, mm. sociology and anthropology, anything about people. It was like, I am so interested. Mm. And so if we could discover our thing, the thing that we want to talk about, like if you really like cars and you could talk endlessly about cars, your book might need to be about cars, right? (laughs) You don't need to go and do a ton of research on plants because that's not your joy point. Your joy point is cars, So talking about that thing that really fills you up makes the work a little bit easier. And if we could flow in that way of this is what I'm supposed to do, this is what I feel called to do, whatever that thing is. Yeah. Something I've been noticing a lot are are people who are starting companies and and it's kind of like they want to be a founder. There's kind of this thing of like, I just want to have this. They don't feel that actually like running the company is like a point of joy. And I I wonder, I think maybe around 2016, there was this kind of spirit of, I'd say, call it like kind of girl boss culture in a way. Mm-hmm. And and I felt that even myself of like, oh my gosh, does everything need to become this kind of company idea? Because that was kind of the messaging ar- around me culturally. So sometimes I feel that you know where your point of joy is and where you get hijacked is the container or the manifestation of how maybe culturally someone it's being done or someone tells you it should be done or there's a safer way to do it? 
I feel that I feel the energy sometimes from others about scaling. Yes. Right. Like you should get your own TV show. You should get I'm like, I don't want a TV show. I don't want to do something every day. (laughs) That's not what I want to do. I think we really have to create our own stuff and we have to be careful about not allowing the world and other people to guide us because, you know, being a founder or CEO may be great for someone else, but it might not be your thing. I've talked to many people who, you know, work in some fields and they don't even want to go into management because it's like, yes, it's more money, but it's also more meetings. It's also more responsibility. It's also less time off. It's also working in the evening. So some people love that and you may not, and that's okay. How do you feel that we create that, I guess, boundary with the world? You know, I always think that there's the boundaries between you and yourself, right? Where you stop the negative self-talk where you're like, the world is not ending. You're upset. It's okay. This kind of way to have self-compassion and console. And then there's the boundaries between you and someone else. And then there's the boundaries between you and the world where you're like, can I not let the spirit or these like movements or big ideas or things around me or opinions, whether it's the teacher in fourth grade or your followers online dictating your path, but it's so Mm -hmm. hard in a world. And of course you've written so much about this of, you know, falling into the approval of others being, you know, that kind of trail of affirmation leading us somewhere. What is, I guess, the advice on that, that boundary with the loudest possible voices surrounding us? One of the questions that could be really helpful for us is the simple question of why. Sometimes we want things because we want to be perceived in the way that the person who has them is being perceived. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we want things because we have been taught to always want things. We're not comfortable with contentment. We're not comfortable with just being in our own space. Sometimes we want things because we truly want them. But I think many of us haven't tapped into the whys of what we want and why. It's interesting because of the the way we kind of give so much space to the scroll. We don't give ourselves a lot of space to contemplate. And to me, to contemplate is to like really like infuse wonder around everything, you know, mm-hmm. to kind of to sit and and, and contemplate your existence, the world, relationships, love, like your book is a this very long contemplation on on boundaries and with the tools and all of the ideas, but it's someone you can tell sat and really contemplates and thinks and challenges all of the ideas around how we can exist within community. And Bell Hooks obviously did that with love. You know, she asked us to sit and wonder about love and have these definitions so that we can know when it's present, know when it's not. And I think I felt that so much in reading your book. It's really hard to, I think, put soul around things that, you know, are are clinical in a lot of ways. It feels nurturing and useful, which is not always the case. Clinically, I think it's very easy for me to sit with someone and say, yep, sounds like you have anxiety. Oh, yeah, that sounds very much like depression. Oh, they have psychosis. I hear it. What is a little more complicated is helping people to deal with these things in livable ways. Mm. Because I don't want, as you show up in the world, yes, there is some anxiety with these things, but how do we 
work ourselves through these moments, despite whatever we're feeling. So anxiety and depression, having those labels is really important. But how do you show up as a living being, no matter what is going on with you? And so my work is to help you show up. Sometimes we talk about your, you know, oh, okay. You know, someone may say, oh, my anxiety is getting worse. And we talk about the life circumstances and what's going on. And really, you know, it's, it's situations where it's like, yeah, I, I could see why that would, would increase it. Or I could see why that would be really scary. And we talk through these things. I don't want you to think that, you know, the, the end of the road is the diagnosis. That is just information for us. It's information to help us think about, you know, in light of you having anxiety around your mother-in-law visiting, mm -hmm. how do we create some healthy... Like, wait, did you read my journal? <laughs> <laughs> how like, do wait, we... did you read my diary? <laughs> <laughs> how do we create some healthy boundaries during her visit? So you're not in the car, you know, having a panic attack. So you're not spending all of your time in the bedroom away from her. How do we help you feel better about these things? Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. This year, we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best, from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on The Goop List, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. Do you think that every relationship is possible with the right boundaries or for some relationship, the only boundary is no relationship? I think what's possible is what you want to be possible. There are some people who can tolerate things that Nedra Glover Tawab cannot tolerate. <laughs> can't tolerate it. But if you don't have an issue with it, I'll just watch it from afar and it's not my business. Right. <laughs> so I think there are certain things that are workable, right? Yeah. Like there can be really difficult people and maybe we don't speak to those people on a consistent basis, right? Mm -hmm. Like that is, you know, maybe a healthy way of existing in that relationship. You know, maybe I can't talk to this person every week, but once a month, not too bad. What typically happens where I'm kind of like, I don't know, is where your life starts to get worse. I do see people severely depressed or anxious or even having psychotic episodes when they have certain relational interactions. Mm. I'm, I'm thinking of a person who had a very triggering mother, very demeaning childhood to adulthood. And every single time they had an episode where they landed themselves in the hospital, it was because they were having contact with their mother. Wow. 
So there are situations where certain relationships can be dangerous for us because it can trigger a lot of stuff, especially if the relationship is abusive, especially if the relationship isn't improving. There are some people who want a relationship with you and they don't want to change anything. And what they're doing is very unhealthy. Now, I am seeing a lot of people canceling relationships that in the past, we would have tried to work through things. We would have tried to implement some boundaries and maybe there are other ways of doing it. But I also think there's personal choice. (laughs) So I don't think I should say, well, that's not that bad. I mean, all you had to do was this. It's like, that's where you are. Yeah. And so if you want to end a relationship for that reason, again, you go ahead. That may not be the choice that I make in that situation, but I understand your desire to have some level of peace. But here's the tricky part. Even when we leave relationships with people, we may still not be at peace. Yeah, because that's the problem. That, yeah, even that disconnection can cause a lot of problems for us. When you stop talking to, you know, the problematic father or whoever, you know, people are going to say, hey, you talk to your dad. Where's your dad? So stuff can or still you're still up. talking to them. It's just not to their face. You're talking yeah. to them everywhere They're, You're just turning everyone else into them. Yeah. Yeah. So there are ways that those things still come up. So it's not a complete freeing. Yeah. Right. There is still some attachment to people, even when we've detached from them, maybe physically, there is still some emotional something there sometimes. Yeah. I often wonder that if if there was kind of more of a conversation around making freedom, the goal, this idea that we feel free Mm -hmm. and good, how we would then interact with people. And, And that's, that's psychological freedom, emotional, mental, physical, all of these, you know, it's not just avoiding people because in avoidance, you have this cord between you. You're very attached to controlling the situation. So therefore the situation's ever present. There are times when we need to run towards the chaos of having an uncomfortable conversation as a path to freedom. Yeah. The avoidance sometimes is how we may choose to manage it, but even, you know, clearing the air and just getting all of that out of us can be the freedom that we need. Mm -hmm. Not that anyone can, can do anything about it, but just that the space is less cluttered. Yeah. I was wondering the other day, like, what is the point of confrontation? I can't remember what speech it was in, but Dr. King, he said that the point of confrontation has to be reconciliation. That's the reason why. And my brother said something interesting to me because he was like, you know, if someone doesn't come correct, it's hard to have a confrontation because they're also not willing to see or have context in how to have this conversation with you that you do have to also consider like, do we even have enough of a relationship for a confrontation? And so I do wonder, I'm like, but what is the fine line of that and avoidance if you're like, well, we're not even good friends or we're not good friends anymore and you don't see me or you take no accountability. So this would literally just be me talking to the wall. At what point is that avoidance and what part of that is kind of a protection of your peace? Has it been said before? 
Like sometimes in relationships when we're like, this person won't hear me. Have you ever tried to speak this before, before saying that they won't hear you or they're incapable? I think if there has been some sort of, this is what I need, this is what I want, here's my issue, and the person has ignored it, then it's safe to say that you you haven't avoided anything. You've tried. And you know that this person is not sort of receptive to that information or they, you know, they want to argue with you or they want to, you know, push back in some way that can be even more damaging. So being clear that some effort was made on your part and you have some proof of how this person has responded. Mm. I do think sometimes that when people want to be the victim they will try to convince themselves that nothing has ever been said to them. Like, I don't know why this person isn't talking to me. And they have some history of what has happened in the relationship, what has been said, and they're completely ignoring it because it's not to their benefit to really address or deal with the things that have been said. So like your brother said, at some point, it becomes re-injury and it does matter if you even care about the relationship, there are times where we want to leave a relationship and we don't want the other person to do anything, but let us go. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to have another conversation with you because I'm actually done. There is no air to be clear. There is no reconciliation to happen or a next thing. So having the conversation is now pointless because I'm no longer interested in this connection. Right. Or like the conflict is affirmation that the relationship doesn't work. Someone said to me recently that in thinking about friendship breakups, because I feel like that's kind of the thing that people are really talking about the most lately. I don't know. Do you feel like people are Mm -hmm. writing you a lot about that? Yeah. She said that her advice was that if you're in the space where you're calling the person toxic and not the dynamic toxic, then like you need to pause. And she said that if something feels toxic, all parties have contributed to it. You know, in often, which I mean, I know talking to a therapist or I don't want to speak in a, you know, but she was like, if we're in a friendship dynamic, often she said. Well, toxic is often used to describe a person. And I, I would agree that the dynamic can be toxic without the person being toxic. Very rarely is there a toxic person because that means that they are disturbing many, many people in their lives in the same way. Mm. And that's not all the always the case when we're describing someone as toxic. We're describing a situation that doesn't work for us. Right. So that may not mean that this person is toxic. It just means that I choose not to have a relationship with them because of several things that, you know, maybe happen our, in our relationship. I think with friendships, we're constantly learning how to be friends. You know, we've been learning for many years, you know, from elementary school until, you know, throughout adulthood. And it's a process. Some of us haven't nailed it. Some of us are still figuring out what to say, what not to say, how to show up for people, when not to, you know, get in someone's business, like all of these things. There's really no handbook that helps us with this. Like there are friends who love to hear your advice. And then there's others that are like, please don't say anything to me about my life. And so it's, 
it's a really interesting thing to be in these relationships that we choose, but also how do we show up in them honestly and and sort of as ourselves? If you could have a friendship where there is a freedom to talk through things, then that could be a really healthy long-term friendship, you know, where you can say like, you know, that thing you did that hurt me and having someone who's emotionally mature enough to process that with you. Oh, wow. It's really important to not see friendship as a disposable experience. I don't think any of my friends at this point are people that I will want to let go of easily. I want to work on it just as I would a marriage, just as I would, you know, a relationship with my children that I love them enough to have hard conversations with them and not avoid difficult topics. That is what, you know, being in a relationship is, but that's growth, right? Because, you know, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, I would have been like, oh, well, forget her. She didn't want to call me back. That's it. (laughs) It's like, I'm not that tough anymore. Now I'm like, girl, why you ain't call me back? Right, right. (laughs) Like, I'm, I'm just putting it out there now. I no longer have that ego standing in the way like they can't know how I feel about this I'm like no I want you to to know how I feel about this and I want to hear your response to it because I really care about you and I care about this relationship there's a conversation I I hear generationally about like how young is too young for children to go to therapy should everyone be in therapy if they could be in therapy do we think it benefits everyone at every age or when is the when do we think is the right time I would say when we see an issue or when someone expresses a desire. Also, if you see someone having a major life challenge, it might be helpful to get them into therapy before there are any issues. Mm. We know that some things have an impact on people. And those are times like if you move to a new state and your kid is no longer around family and they're, you know, Mm -hmm. in this space and they're isolated, that might be a good time to take them to a therapist. You know, these are wonderful times where they just have this person to open up to because kids don't always open up to their parents because they're trying to be gentle and, and caring and they don't want to be offensive, but they have thoughts and opinions about stuff. But I I think therapy works best when you have people who want to be there. The worst thing is when we try to force people to go to therapy. I see this sometimes with couples where it's like, I'm going to make this person come and change. And it's like, this is the worst use of your hour (laughs) because they don't want to be here as evidenced by their back being turned, them not contributing, them not having, you know, like. So that's not very useful. But what can be useful is this seeing therapy as a place to have a person who sees you from a different perspective, who you're able to talk to in a different way. It's not always about crisis and mental health and problems as much as it is about learning how to talk about yourself and be with someone else in your discoveries of self. And maybe it's about also how you frame it. I have friends who have a lot of resentment for their parents because I think they framed sending them to therapy as young children as them there being something wrong with them rather than mm. a self-care practice or something everyone in the family did mm-hmm. or something that is just like going to the dentist. And so I, I think that, would you agree that it's maybe how you approach it too in inviting children into the space? Absolutely. I've, I've certainly seen parents do that. Like, here's the problem. Can you fix them? And it's like, 
I think that's, you know, something to be concerned about as a parent, but as a therapist, I'm not trying to fix any of their problems necessarily. Mm. I'm trying to help them, you know, come into themselves and figure out how they want to exist in the world, how to navigate, you know, super challenging social relationships, dating relationships, you know, all of these things that are coming up at this phase in life. I'm not going to tell them to clean their room. That's... (laughs) That's not right. going to be one of my therapeutic right, right. concerns. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, but she came out and then she still didn't want to clean her room. This therapy is not working. Yeah. It's like, it won't because I'm never talking about this. Yeah. I feel like as a parent, if you have had been lucky enough and privileged enough to have therapy before becoming a parent, there's so much you unpack about kind of, you know, how you consciously want to parent because, you know, when I think about it now, it wasn't until I became a mother where I had so much more grace for my own mother. I just didn't realize, I think how 24, that it's a 24 hour job. And I was like, wow, no days off, like no days off from thinking about it. No, like, even if you're like, oh, I took the morning like to myself and had a walk, you just thinking about your family and you're so like, okay, I want to make sure I don't do this and I don't do this and I don't do this. And we're so obsessed with trying to like have a non-dysfunctional family because we like call on so much to our, of our issues or this or picking a partners, whatever mm-hmm. from is every family dysfunctional? Is there, is there no, there's no way to avoid it or is um, there, there's some dysfunction in there. It might not be in your nuclear family, but there's a first cousin somewhere being dysfunctional or aunt or uncle or grandparent, or, you know, it may not be in your household, but certainly within our gene pool, there is something (laughs) that we could describe as, as dysfunctional. What we may see as dysfunctional is like the really heavy things, but also there are, you know, there are things that are very impactful that can be dysfunctional. A parent not Allowing a child to have choices, maybe over disclosing to your child, maybe, you know, not having a safe space for them to disclose things with you. Like there are all sorts of things that create a dysfunctional relationship in a family. It's not just those big things like substance abuse and, you know, addiction and all of this stuff. It could be, you know, many things. And it's I try not to judge what people see as dysfunctional. I think we have a really bad habit of that. Like that wasn't that bad. At least, at least your dad was there. You know, right, we, we right. like to do these sort of things where we say, well, my life was worse. Or I know somebody who had a story that was terrible. But mm. if someone is telling you that the biggest thing in their life is, you know, their, their dad never played catch with them, then I have to believe that that's your idea of what dysfunctional is. And I don't need right. to challenge that. Clearly it's having an emotional impact on you. Yeah. We don't often enough just really embrace like everyone's different, meaning like every single person processes different, feels differently, especially in like romantic relationships, because you're, you're just you're doing so much together that you notice how different you are all the time. Mm-hmm. And you are judgmental of like, wait, you thought that was hard. That's nothing. And letting that go actually allows for you to see them and embrace them for who they are without these kind of social things interfering, I guess. We like to dehumanize other people for things they couldn't control. Mm. You know, a person doesn't control which family they're born into. And that's our stuff sometimes. Isn't that our stuff coming up 
when we have to look at someone else and say, oh, maybe there was some jealousy in that. Yeah, that we've had to have a different experience and this person doesn't have to. And that can be, you know, going back to friendships, that happens a lot. Mm. That happens a lot of friendships when a friend gets married before you or they have this really fun relationship or they get this new job. There is this sense of like, how did, how did they get this? And I didn't get it. And we don't always know how to deal with our jealousy. So sometimes we just, I'm not going to call her for a birthday. It's not conscious. It's just something Mm. we do because we have those feelings of she doesn't need any other goodness. I'm going to withhold, you know, all of these things that we do in relationships because of our stuff. Mm. And it's interesting because do you think jealousy is actually something within us saying like, Ooh, that's cool. Like that gave you an, an idea for something you want or that clarified something for you. Like awesome. I hope that they keep going because they're an inspiration to me. Yeah, I think your jealousies are revealing your desires. Yeah, which is amazing, actually. I think sometimes there's so much shame and anger or in jealousy or in these things that we think are either unlikable emotions or the ones we're not supposed to have in public or in community when really they're revealing passions. Mm. I mean, obviously, I'd imagine you think every emotion is worth exploring, but do you think there are some we try to skip over that we could stay in longer to to really receive like kind of spiritual information? Yeah, it's the jealousy, it's the guilt, it is the anger, it's the sadness. Sometimes it's the grief of something like we are bypassing what we could receive from a situation because we're trying to quickly get out of whatever it is we're feeling when and honestly none of us are like happy always yeah. <laughs> like I'm always happy 100% of the time there's a lot of things mixed in with that and that's okay like we don't hang on to any emotion for a really long time but for some reason when those uncomfortable ones or those ones that we don't want other people to see come up we're like no I, I don't want anyone to see that I think it's you know it's like getting mad sometimes I try to normalize I have two two daughters me too yeah oh I love having two girls but I try to really normalize this getting mad at your sibling thing but also when you're mad not doing things to Mm. hurt another person yeah so just because you're mad that your sister cheated in the game it doesn't mean that you have to kick the game over right (laughs) right (laughs) Like, like it, it's, it's how it manifests, like with it, jealousy, sadness, anger, they can't turn to violence and that's the boundary. They're alive and they're very alive emotions and feel it. And acknowledge it. It's okay yeah. to say, I'm mad about this, or I'm, I'm, I'm mad that you cheated in this game and I really wanted to play it. So how do we move you closer towards letting someone know maybe yeah. and, and not feeling like they have to do anything about it? Because there may not be anything to be done. It's just a recognizing of what you feel. What do you think about how we shift and live with boundaries with teens as they kind of come into this, you know, era of their independence and this breakaway from the parents? I feel like I'm seeing it a lot with my kids' friends. It's like, you do notice this profound shift and- a lot of the times, do you think it's that 
some of that conflict might be because you, you haven't shifted boundaries as they're getting to be more adult. Absolutely. Yeah. You see that with adult children as well, where some parents are feeling completely isolated because their boundaries haven't shifted. My kid is not calling me every day. My kid is not asking me what to do about these things in their life. And it's like, do they have to? Right. (laughs) Should they ask your, you know, like there has to be some change in that elementary, middle, high school, young adult, you know, like there has to be some shifts in how you parent a person. And Mm -hmm. as you mentioned, you know, middle school is probably, you know, a shift and you start to see, oh, wow, there's some stepping away from there's this desire to be with, you know, people who are their age. I wouldn't want to be around me when I was in middle school. You know, we don't have the same preferences. We don't do the same things. Our conversations are different. As you move towards high school, there will be another shift. And so, you know, this is just something that naturally happens in relationships and the way that we keep our kids close to us, at least emotionally, is to allow that when it's safe, to really encourage them to have these, these other relationships that help them become who they're meant to be. This is how they learn about themselves by relating to other people. And do you think kids could, can handle, and, and obviously not to generalize, but this, the honesty of like saying to them, oh, it's very hard for me to readjust and let go because this represents so much more to me uh, having lived the experience of being a teenage girl. Do you feel that you could put your experience on the map for your child to give you some empathy or share some empathy with you? Well, also, by the way, giving them the space, but I guess I wonder, do you think that it could help the bond to say like, I'm human too, and this like, freaking sucks for me. You know, I wouldn't want to stop them from doing what they feel they need to do. Sometimes kids will change their course of operation because of how the parent might feel about it. And you don't want them to step away from what is feeling natural for them. Mm. You want them to do that. So I do wonder if there is space for a parent to process with a friend, to process with a partner, to process with a therapist some of the discomfort they're going through because it really is an internal discomfort. And it's not that your kids don't want to spend any time with you is that you have to figure out new ways to spend time with them. How do you get into Mm. their world? What new type of questions do you need to ask them? What advice might actually be helpful? How do you talk to them without telling them what's right and what's wrong and what they should do? So there is a transitioning that the parent needs to make in addition to, you know, what's happening with the kids. Is that transition easier by asking them how to proceed? Do you ask the teen kind of, Hey, if I'm going to this thing and and there's a bunch of us there, do you want us to sit over here or what feels good for you for me to be in the mix? I love that. I think that's a wonderful way to proceed. And we could do that at early ages too, right? Like, you know, kids come to us with certain things and just asking them, what do you think about mommy talking to you about blah, 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 like just different things because 
it feels really independent and autonomous to be able to decide how you can be in relationship with someone. To be able to have the freedom to do that at a young age, I think gives you the opportunity to really want that relationship with your parents, not out of our obligation, but out of a real desire to be connected. Yeah. So that starts early, you know, just mm -hmm. allowing them to choose you and not mm -hmm. forcing that relationship can be really healthy long-term. And I guess we do that with you know, friends and romantic relationships. We want all the same things in, in all of our relationships, you know, to, for mm -hmm. them to flourish, which is like to feel free and loved and secure and all these things. And then all of a sudden we have kids and we're like, no, it's gonna be like this. And you have this kind of real like desire to control mm -hmm. And have the relationship you really want on your terms with these alive beings. I mean, I hope every parent reads your book. I said this, I was like, I am giving this book to every baby shower for the rest of my life. Oh my gosh. That's such a wonderful book for new moms. Oh my gosh. All like, of the boundary issues you have as a new mom, it is so important to be able to tell people, don't touch my baby, please step back, wash your hands. Don't, yeah. you know, I've seen people do things to baby and the mother is just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they did that. I'm like, you didn't say anything. Yeah. You said nothing. Yeah. My daughter's a redhead and I've never experienced anything like this before, but everyone wants to just come up to her and get really close to her and talk about her hair. And I'm always like, okay back it up. I never had an experience like that before. Hmm. Or, I mean, I remember during the pandemic, right? I had both my kids during the pandemic and, you know, we're masked and we're trying to go on a walk in the stroller and someone comes up to your kid really close and you're like, whoa, like, can we please have some space? And you already feel kind of vulnerable. And mm -hmm. it was, it was really strange. I didn't anticipate the lack of space people or the space people like to take with babies. I never imagined that. Hmm. Yeah, you need some pretty firm boundaries to be able to say to a stranger who is well-intentioned, yeah. well-intentioned that, you know, they need to step back or, oh, thank you, but please don't say that to her. Yeah. I, I've corrected so many strangers about mm -hmm. my kids. I remember I was standing in a line and this lady was trying to talk to my daughter who might've been like two or three at the time. And my daughter was just standing there and the lady was like, you're mean. And I was like, whoa, like you're a stranger to her. That was me what you said. She was like, I'm just joking. How do you joke with a stranger like that? How are you offended by a three-year-old not talking back to you? Right. I said, please don't say anything else to her. <laughs> just, like, just, just turn around, check out and leave the store, ma'am. Like, just don't talk to her because you don't know how to be appropriate with a child. And I get it. There is this power that we think we have as adults, even with other people's kids, where it's like, this kid better speak to me. And it's like, no, she doesn't know you. And she you don't seem like a nice person. Maybe that's some energy she picked up on. Yeah. I don't know. But I have to respect her boundary of not wanting to speak. Do you think that people struggle to set boundaries because they are afraid of how they get perceived in being the boundary setter? Especially if you grow up in a household where setting boundaries is kind of villainized because there's people thriving on no boundaries. 
you know, you are the mean one when you set the boundary. Do you think that kind of like the spiritual process maybe for someone is to like release what people think of you mm-hmm. and, and, and be true to yourself and set a boundary kind of thing? You may not have to release what people think of you, but I think you have to deal with what that might feel like to Mm. not be seen as nice or kind or people pleasing by everyone. There are times where you need to set a boundary and other people won't like it. And it can, it can hurt to have to set that boundary and it still may be the thing to do. It's absolutely necessary. There is no way to absorb what someone else might feel about that. I, often wonder like what is this what is this world that we think we can create where there is no discomfort that we can exist in the world without offending anyone ever by always being kind never making a mistake like that's not the real world in the real world we will say things that are uncomfortable for people they may not like it and it still needs to happen I I think that There are two people in a relationship and both people have choices. And my choice may not be not, may not be what you would choose, but it's certainly what I choose. And that might hurt you. That might not be what you want. When, you know, I asked my husband, Hey, do you want to watch this movie with me? And he's like, no, I'm like, dang, I wanted you to watch the movie with me. (laughs) You know, I have to deal with that. I'm like, okay, I guess I'll watch it by myself. I thought I wanted, but he's like, it's too dramatic. You know, like (laughs) not tonight, not tonight. You know, you have to accept that you don't always get a yes. You have to accept that people are going to feel some way about you, just like you feel some way about people. All the freedoms we want are the freedoms we have to accept about other people. Thanks for listening to my chat with Nedra Glover-Tawab. For more, make sure to get copies of her books, Set Boundaries, Find Peace, and her latest, Drama Free, a guide to managing unhealthy family relationships. Thanks for tuning in. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. I hope you'll listen, follow, rate, and review all of our episodes, which are available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to The Goop Podcast.